0: Thank you, Cortet. Take your Bibles out this evening and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, Luke's Gospel. And if you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word, we're going to begin tonight in verse 41 and work our way down to verse 52 where we will sort of lock in for the evening. And I will explain a little bit later uh, what we're... About here, okay? Luke 2. what I say? Oh, I didn't say. Okay, Luke 2. <laughs> I guess I had a senior moment, you know? <laughs> Luke 2, beginning at verse 41 how to, how to continue growing as a Christian. Says now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he was twelve years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Father, we pray tonight that you would open our understanding a little better to what it means to grow as a believer. And Lord, that that would be a lifelong pursuit in our lives. That we would never be simply comfortable or complacent or satisfied, but that we would press on for that high calling and that mark that Paul spoke of in Philippians 3 when he said, I want to lay hold of that for which I have been laid hold of. Lord, give us strength and insight and maturity. That, that attitude would be in us. we pray in Jesus name. Amen. You know with today being senior adult day, I was thinking as I spoke this morning uh, just deeply appreciative of the picture of senior adulthood that that I think Dr. Willis presents for us. he's always Seeking to grow, he's always eager to learn and stay up on some of the latest research on some topic, or he's always anxious to go to some conference to learn a little bit more and I think that is the image that the Bible presents to us of aging, really at any stage in our lives. In fact, Peter in second peter three eighteen says but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we need to ask ourselves, am I still growing? Now, I would assume that the closer you get to the end of your life and appearing before the judgment seat of Christ, that would be a topic of very intense concern. Well, folks, we know that there's different kinds of growth. Romans 8 tells us that we are to be conformed to the image of Christ. Now, in being conformed to the image of Christ, let's look this evening at what the Bible tells us about Jesus growing. And when we look at Luke chapter 2, we see what an astounding passage this is when you think about it. I mean, just to stop and consider that the Lord Jesus grew. What we're confronted with in this passage, of course, is the humanity of Jesus. We know that Jesus is fully divine. He's the second person of the Trinity. He's sovereign God. And God is fully complete. You can't have God growing because God is omniscient. God sees all and He hears all and He knows all. And so if God had to grow, then He would be less than sovereign God. But keep in mind that Jesus wasn't just fully divine. He was also fully human. He was the God-man. And think of that. He came to this earth as a man. In fact, in Philippians 2, Paul says, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. The Bible says that he did this, that he might be our sin sacrifice and taste death for everyone. Paul goes on there in Philippians 2.8 to say, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And also he did this, that he might experience everything that we experience in life to be an example for us and to be our sympathetic high priest. In Hebrews 4, 15 we read, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, and yet without sin. And so while Jesus never sinned in his humanity, we learn the astounding thing here that he did grow. Being that example, it was necessary for him to grow just like we grow. Now the gospel writers don't provide very many details about the childhood of Jesus. In fact, after his presentation at the temple, all we really know about the childhood of Jesus is that when he was 12 years old, he was subject to his parents. And we've just read about that in this passage in Luke 2. Oh, we know, of course, that there's non-canonical gospels like the Gospel of Thomas that have Jesus going down by the, by the Jordan River and, and, and taking some of the clay there and, and according to the Gospel of Thomas how he would, just for the fun of it, make clay birds uh, out, of, uh, out of that dirt, out of that clay and breathe on them and supposedly they would come to life and fly away. But of course we don't accept those gospels as being inspired And we certainly see in the inspired gospels that we do have That Jesus never did miracles just for the sake of having fun There was always a purpose to his miracles He never misused his power. The Bible instead presents us with a very uh, reserved picture of Jesus growing up years. They were years spent in quiet learning and submission. And that's what Luke tells us about in verse 52. I'm so glad we have verse 52 in our Bibles. It tells us volumes about Jesus' childhood and his character development. And what we see here is a picture of his steady growth. And we see the different ways in which Jesus grew. He grew intellectually, he grew physically, he grew spiritually, and he grew socially. A very balanced picture of growth. And again, it it provides inspiration for us. First of all, I want you to notice with me tonight that we're to follow the footsteps of Jesus by growing intellectually. We know that God has given us our minds. And in Matthew 22, on one occasion, somebody came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, what is the greatest of all of the commandments? And Jesus responded by saying, you're to love the Lord your God with all of your mind, and with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. He mentioned there the mind, the human mind, that we're to love God with all of our mind. Now, sometimes in the past, preparing your mind uh, intellectually has been viewed with suspicion in certain Christian circles. I think of the old primitive Baptist, for instance. And, And I read on one occasion how the primitive Baptist down in Georgia, and this was really indicative of them anywhere, how they really discouraged their minister's from going to school. They did not want an educated clergy. In fact, using a verse out of 1 John where it explains to us that the Holy Spirit is our teacher, they said that is all the education that anybody ever needs. And so they rejected seminary training. They rejected college training on the part of their clergy. They they rejected any kind of formal training whatsoever. And by the way, the primitive Baptists still do that. They don't see the importance of it. Now, folks, we would admit that obviously the Holy Spirit is to be our teacher, but nonetheless, we need to be educated on the Word of God. Developing our minds is a very important part of Christian growth. In fact, what does Peter tell us in 1 Peter 1.13? 1, in that passage where he tells us that we're to be holy because God is holy, he begins that passage by saying we are to gird up the loins of our mind. Now, girding up the loins was an image of being prepared. They wore long flowing gowns. Long robes, even the men and when the men were going to go out into the fields and work hard or they were going to take part in some athletic event, they would gird up their loins. They would reach down and they would grab the robe actually in the back and they would pull it forward between their knees and up around their waist and they would wrap it and they would tie it off. And it was a symbol of being prepared, prepared for action. And the Bible says that we're to gird up the loins of our minds for action. You see, Christianity touches the heart of a man. When the heart of a man feels that conviction of the Holy Spirit drawing him to a Savior, it touches his heart, it touches his emotions. But it's not just the heart that Christianity touches. Christianity is also to affect the mind. And that's why Paul says in Romans 12 too, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. In the book of Proverbs, it says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And so, folks, that shows the connection between the head and the heart, between the mind and the heart. We're to be convinced in our minds as well as convinced in our hearts. Now, how do we grow with our minds? Well, first of all, we feed on the Word of God. Psalm one nineteen twenty four. 24, the psalmist says, Thy testimonies also are my delight. They are my counselors. In Psalm 119, 105, he goes on to say, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And so we feed our minds on the precious Word of God. And today we're so blessed to be able uh, to To add that reading so much of the Christian classics that we have, you know what a shame that believers don't read that much anymore. we 're a visual society, and, and sadly we're being told that people just don't read that much anymore, and yet you think of the storehouse of treasures that we have in the field of theology, in the field of Christian classics, in the field of biographies, some of the great saints of the past. And and by reading about their lives and their examples and their experiences uh, in the Christian faith, we learn so much from them, from those who have gone before us. From reading theology, we read so much about how to be better grounded in our faith, especially in a day and age when so many are turning away from the essentials of the faith. We need to prepare our minds for action so we can be better grounded. What an opportunity we have today. We need to watch the input. You know, the computer people used to have a saying, garbage in. Garbage out. That's why Paul in Philippians 4.8 uh, says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, let your minds dwell on these things. And Folks, that's a lifelong challenge. Seniors, that challenge never goes away. Never. At age 92, Oliver Wendell Holmes, one of our greatest Supreme Court justices of the past, was reading in his library and a friend asked him what he was doing. He smiled and he said, I'm improving my mind. He realized there's always room for improvement. Cato, the Roman scholar, started studying Greek when he was over 80 years of age. And when he was asked why, he said, Well, it's the earliest age I have left. (laughs) Even the smartest people among us only use about 10% of their mind. G. Campbell Morgan, who pastored Westminster Chapel in London, was said to have impacted so many souls for Christ because he had such a great mind and a great soul. Somebody said they didn't know whether it was his spiritual intellectuality or his intellectual spirituality. But with such a heart, a hot soul and a full mind, he was able to influence many for Christ. Now, on a side note, this doesn't have anything to do with anything else I'm saying tonight, but concerning G. Campbell Morgan and his preparation in the ministry, and and this kind of reflects what a different age he lived in. Some of those great old big giant cigars, I guess the old Cuban kind of cigars. What do you do? Bite off the end or slice off the end and... Must take quite a long time to smoke one of those. It said G. Campbell Morgan, when he was doing his sermon prep, he'd take eight of those big old gigantic cigars, lock himself in his study, and he didn't come out until all eight of those were smoked down. And that was his preparation every week. Like I say, that didn't have anything to do with tonight. But he had a great mind and great preparation for the gospel ministry. Now folks, think about us. Are we really prepared intellectually to be a witness of our Christian faith? So many of us rarely do anything to prepare ourselves in that regard. We might do well to cut off the TV some and Spend a little more time reading something that would enrich our faith in Christ. Because the truth of the matter is, if you're going to live out your faith in the postmodern marketplace of the 21st century, you're going to have to grow intellectually in your faith. All of the easy answers of the past don't necessarily speak to people in the present. A lot of times people of the past would say, Well, I just believe it's a matter of faith. And of course we know that's the right answer to those who have come to faith in Christ. But it's not the answer that's going to reach a 21st century young person. And so if we want to be a factor in carrying out the Great Commission to the current age, we've got to grow intellectually. In fact, Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Growing intellectually in the faith but the greatest motivation of all for growing intellectually in the faith. Not just the difference that we can make, but it's knowing that by doing so, we're actually following in the footsteps of Jesus. Luke 2.52 says Jesus grew intellectually. And again, we're to be conformed to the image of Christ. Secondly, I want you to notice with me, we're to follow the footsteps of Jesus by growing physically. It says here that he grew in stature. Now we see a lot of obsession today with the body. And that's wrong, that's egotistical, and that's fleshly. It's ungodly. The healthcare industry has gone nuts. It's a billion dollar, multi-billion dollar industry. Business. There's all kinds of supplements and equipment and health foods and lotions and on and on it goes. Just a never-ending supply of health products. And if people can't get the body they want from those, what do they do today? They go under the knife, right? They'll get it that way. People are fanatical about their looks. But... Yet, we do need to take care of our bodies within the proper boundaries. Within the proper boundaries. I want you to turn with me over to 1 Corinthians 1 for a moment. 1 Corinthians 1 and chapter 6. 1 Corinthians 1 and chapter 6. Now, what Paul is doing there is instructing his listeners not to join their bodies to anything immoral. But beyond that, it it still has volumes to say to us about what we do with the flesh. Pick up reading with me in verse 13. There in verse 13, uh, Paul says there, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will destroy both Uh, One and the other, the body is not meant for sexual immorality but, But for the Lord and the Lord for the body And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power Now listen to what he says in verse 15 Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Now listen to verse 19. It's it's the real point he's making here. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own, for you were bought with a price... Now look at how he closes that. He says, so glorify God in your body. We need to be careful with the flesh. We need to take care of our body. We need to eat right. We need to exercise. There's a balance here though. We don't need to be flesh fanatics. Again, Paul told Timothy bodily exercise profits little whereas spiritual exercise profits much but while we don't want to be flesh fanatics if we don't take care of ourselves physically we're going to end up limiting ourselves what God can do with us in the ministry. Even many of the mission boards today before they send you out onto the mission field. They put you all through these physical rigors too. They want to know... Is this somebody who takes care of their body? Is this somebody in in pretty good health? I mean, if they're going to a foreign country and we're going to be paying them to stay there maybe 20, 30, 40 years, uh, a career missionary, is this somebody that their flesh is not going to limit them in the ministry? So we need to take care of our bodies. It's an area that preachers typically don't do very well in. The healthcare industry will tell you that physical fitness among the clergy is the number one worst of any other professional line of, of, of work in the nation. The clergy. Number one unhealthy group. I guess too many church fellowships. That's why health care premiums for ministers are so outrageous when compared with some others. Again, we don't want to abuse the flesh and limit where God may, may want to use us someday. Dr. Lewis Thomas, who taught at Yale Medical School, discusses what he calls the seven healthy life habits concept. Blue Cross has promoted these. Eat breakfast, exercise regularly, maintain your normal weight, don't smoke, don't drink excessively. guess we got to keep Dr. Willis away from those country club weddings. Sleep eight hours a night. Don't eat between meals. Wise, common sense statements that we would do well to carry out. But again, remember our motive. Our, our, Our motive isn't like the motive of a lot of people today to maybe end up on the cover of some magazine or something, but our motive is to maintain ourselves physically so we can be of maximum use to the Lord in ministry here again, this is an area where we need to be conformed to the image of Christ. Jesus grew in stature. Well, thirdly, we're to follow the footsteps of Jesus by growing spiritually. It says he grew in favor with God. You remember the Uncle Remus story about uh, Briar Rabbit and the Briar Patch? Briar Fox captured Briar Rabbit on one occasion, was ready to eat him when Briar Rabbit said, go ahead and eat me, do whatever you want, but whatever you do, please don't throw me into the Briar Patch. And he finally convinces Briar Fox that the worst possible fate is to be thrown into the briar patch, which Briar Fox does to Briar Rabbit. But instead of being the worst possible fate, it is life's greatest delight for Briar Rabbit. And from the briar patch, he cries out with great enthusiasm, I was born in the briar patch. This is what I was made for. Now apply that to spiritual growth. Spirituality is a spiritual growth isn't just a passing thing. It's what you were redeemed for. The Bible says in redemption we become holy to God. Holy simply means set apart. The Bible repeatedly tells us in the New Testament that we are saints. Now, that's our position. Practically, we don't always act saintly. But our position in Christ is that we're saints and we are set apart. In fact, Paul, writing to the Thessalonians, says, This is the will of God, even your sanctification. Growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. I imagine it grieves God's heart sometimes when believers remain as spiritual babes. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, said, I, You know, I couldn't address you as mature because you're not. And how did he know? He said, Because just look at all the divisions and everything that's going on among you. Proof positive right there that you're fleshly, you're carnal, you're, you're babes in Christ. Writer of Hebrews said by now, many of you, you ought to be eating on the milk of the word, but I'm still having to give you milk. You should be chewing on the meat of the word, but you're still being fed with milk. We need to grow spiritually. J. Oswald Sanders said, you're as close to God right now as you want to be. This is where our our choices and the sovereignty of God sort of join together. As we submit ourselves to God, God brings about the growth in us, His sovereign will, but we've got to yield to it. We've got to grow. We've got to make choices to grow spiritually. What are some of the New Testament principles of growth? There's the principle of communion. Mark one thirty five tells us that Jesus got alone with his heavenly Father early, even before daybreak. All the crowds were looking for him. He was busy in ministry, but he took time to get away with his heavenly Father. Steadfast communion. What kind of priority is your quiet time with God to you? Is it a priority? Do you take time for that communion? There's the principle of concentration. Concentration on our relationship with Jesus. John 15, he's the vine, we're the branches. We've got to abide in him. And concentrate on his word. 1 Peter 2, using the milk image, only this time in a positive sense, says like newborn babes, we've got to crave the, the, the word of God like a baby craves milk. Concentration. Concentration on our relationship with Christ and His Word. Why? Because His Holy Spirit takes His Word. That's the two things chiefly involved in our spiritual growth. The Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and uses those to conform us to the image of Christ. Principle of addition in Second Peter chapter 1, Second Peter chapter 1, look at the things that Peter mentions there that we need to add to our faith beginning there in verse 5. He says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self control, and self control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins principle of addition principle of subtraction Hebrews 12 1 and 2 says as we're running the race there's some encumbrances and some sins that each of us have that we need to lay aside. The writer of Hebrews says that those, some things in our lives are kind of like weights holding us back from running the race. And so we need to subtract. We need to lay those things aside. Principle of dedication. Second Timothy 2, 2 to 5. We're to be like that teacher in stealing things and other reliable men. And then Paul uses the images there of a soldier who doesn't entangle himself in worldly things. And he uses the image of a farmer there who's steadfast at sowing the seed and patiently waits on the harvest. He's dedicated. And he looks at the long range picture. And then the principle of separation. The principle of separation that Paul mentions to Timothy there in 2 Timothy 2 as he goes on in verse 15 to say do your best to present yourself to uh, God as one approved. And he goes on to say avoid irreverent babble for it will lead people into more ungodliness. And he talks there about Separation that Timothy is to do from the world. So, how do we grow spiritually? Communion, concentration, addition, subtraction, dedication, and separation. Some principles that we can use in our spiritual life to make sure that, like Jesus, we're growing in favor with God now how do we know if we're growing spiritually well am I loving God's word more is it becoming a compass for my life as I face daily decisions am I being conformed more into the image of Christ is the fruit of the spirit evident in my life Do I value my time with the Lord and when I miss that time with the Lord, I'm anxious to get back to it? Am I loving God's people more? Do I enjoy being around God's people? Do I enjoy Christian fellowship with my brothers and sisters? By the way, that's one of the marks in the New Testament that we've even been converted. That we love the household of God. We love God's people. Am I more available as a servant of Christ than I I was? Am I involved in ministry? Do I find others? Do I find that I want others to know the Savior? Some indicators of whether or not we're growing spiritually. Jesus grew spiritually. Spiritually. And lastly, we see here tonight, we're to follow the footsteps of Jesus in growing socially. It says, he also grew in favor with man. Now, that's an interesting phrase. We know that as Jesus began his public ministry, many turned away from him. Actually, many in the crowds fell out of favor with him. And yet, we know that those who were truly seeking God actually yearned for time with him. New Testament tells us that sinners were drawn to him. Luke 15 says that's why the Pharisees and other religious leaders fell out with him. Because they said, hmm, who's this guy associating with sinners? But I think a little Zacchaeus up in that tree wanting to see Jesus. I think of the woman with the issue of blood. I think of Mary who rushed into where Jesus was uh, having dinner on one occasion and and broke that jar of perfume and and poured it over the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. I think of the Samaritan woman. I think of the Roman centurion in John 4 who begged Jesus to come and, and heal his son. And I think of the multitudes that flocked to him at the Sermon on the Mount. We see a consistent pattern in the Gospels. The religious crowd fell out of favor with him. They were hardened against God. But those who were poor in spirit and wanted to know God were drawn to him. The key is, as Matthew 9 says, when Jesus looked at the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. That says something about his social interaction. People matter to God. Christianity is not a hermit's religion. Some of the people in monasteries and so forth back during the Middle Ages who would go out into the desert and build some platform, and get up on and, and dwell up there on this platform or podium, and never come down and never socialize with anybody that 's not the heart of New Testament Christianity in New Testament Christianity. we love people we interact with them socially we try to we try to help instill Christian values and faith in them and help them. We need to try to look at people the way Jesus looked at people. Grow socially. You know, people are going to be offended by the gospel because the gospel is an offense. There's no way to avoid that. But that doesn't mean we ourselves have to be an offense. In fact, Romans 12, 18 says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Grow socially. Grow socially. There's no spiritual gift of being sandpaper in the New Testament. Some some people, the way they interact with others, they... Say, I've got the spiritual gift of being sandpaper. No, you don't. That's not one of them. How did Jesus grow? He grew intellectually. He grew physically. He grew spiritually. He grew socially. Again, as 2 Peter 3.18 says, but grow. In the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter's writing about a dark culture. It's always been a dark culture. That began in Genesis 3. That was a little bit of time ago, wasn't it? Genesis 3. It's been a dark culture dating back to then. Peter was talking about how Christians conduct themselves in a dark culture. We need to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And how did he grow? In all of these areas. Look at your life tonight. Are you growing intellectually, enriching your mind with the Word of God? In Christian writings that will stretch your thinking about God? What's theology? Study of God. Stretching our thinking about God and, and how God has revealed Himself in our world and how He deals with mankind. Are you growing intellectually? Feeding your mind? It takes discipline. Are you growing physically? Taking care of the temple? So even if you're 55, 60, 65, 70 years of age, you can continue with longevity, serving the Lord, capable of ministry, and not hindered by lifelong abuse of the body. Are you growing physically? Growing spiritually. Growing socially. What adjustments need to be made in your life and my life? Do we have faith to see it through to the end? Let's pray together. Father, I pray that we would indeed be life Long learners. Growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. The Lord is going to take more than just coasting through each day. Sort of letting life happen to us. It's going to have to take dedication and purpose and surrender. God, I pray that we'd be honest enough tonight to look at our lives. Are we growing in the same ways that the Lord Jesus grew? Because we read in your word that it's your plan to conform us to the image of Christ. Is that something we're cooperating with the Holy Spirit in bringing about in our lives? And if not I pray even tonight That we would make some adjustments And as Cato said I'm at the earliest stage The youngest stage right now To begin afresh Whether we're 25 or 85, I pray that that would be our heart, our attitude. And Lord, as we grow, that it would be our desire to reflect Christ in a dark culture. That we would do it all for your glory, that we might be better ministers. Of the gospel. In Jesus name we pray.